Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field, the podcast where we share your student affairs stories from fresh perspectives to seasoned experts. This is season two, Critical and Crisis Conversations, featuring a special COVID-19 and higher education miniseries. This podcast is brought to you by NASPA, and I'm Jill Creighton, your SA Voices from the Field host. Today's episode features two amazing guests that will be next up in our COVID-19 Crisis Conversations dialogue. Today's episode will be all about housing and residence life and how those operations in the student affairs profession have been impacted, and particularly our students and staff. Our first guest is Pamela Schreiber, EDD. Dr. Schreiber currently serves as Assistant Vice President for Student Life and Executive Director of Housing and Food Services at the University of Washington. She oversees housing and residential life, residential and retail dining, conference services, catering services, and a campus debit card program. The department also includes support functions for human resources, information technology, communications and marketing, financial services, and facility services. In her 32-year career, she has participated in multiple housing capital projects, including the current expansion of housing and dining on the UW campus. Pam holds a doctorate in education specializing in adult education from the University of Georgia. Her Master of Arts degree in college student personnel is from Bowling Green State University, and her Bachelor of Arts degree in social welfare is from the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. She currently serves as the Vice President for the Association of College and University Housing Officers International, also known as ACUHO-I. Pam, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. Pam, I'm really looking forward to our dialogue about housing professionals and COVID-19 response because you have the benefit of having not only this national lens on the profession of housing and residence life, but also as a professional in the Seattle metropolitan area, one of the first areas to be really hit with some of the tough decisions. So talk to us a little bit about how you and your team have proceeded through this pandemic. Thanks, Jill. I'm guessing that our experience is quite similar to many others. One of the things that we recognized pretty quickly is the fact that things were changing so fast. And while we had a great pandemic plan and Uh, We drilled to that plan. This is different. And I think that having a plan was certainly a great idea. I mean, it's really a good resource. But things have changed so very quickly. The team here has done a great job. We, um, you know, instituted our emergency response protocol and structure and set up the necessary communication opportunities to make sure that we were addressing and, you know, dealing with the situation. I think for us, we were into the last two weeks of winter quarter when we decided to go to online classes. And so students left, anticipating that after spring break, they would rejoin, come back to campus, and of course that didn't happen. So you know, we have a situation where it, we couldn't really plan for how our circumstances would be. But then we had a number of students who, who were back for spring quarter, and we had to immediately talk about how do we serve those students? How do we get the same or similar programs and services in place? So that they, you know, we continue to do the the job that we said we would do and we can continue to support them. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind. And I I think, again, not uncommon. Fortunately, it appears that the actions taken in the area and in the state of Washington are, are paying off for us. I think you have a unique challenge being a quarter school in that for semester schools, we were facing maybe six weeks of instruction, sometimes four weeks of instruction. But you still had a third of your academic year to go. So how has that played out for 
how you think about budgets and how you think about supporting paraprofessional staff and live-in staff specifically. Yeah, I think the, the quarter situation, you know, had some benefits as well as some drawbacks. Um, as I mentioned, we went online the tail end of winter quarter, so it did give us an opportunity to sort of prepare, if you will, for spring quarter. Um, it's a very different spring quarter than we had anticipated. We made the decision that we would proceed with spring, uh, as I mentioned, trying to support our students as much as possible. As far as our live-in staff, you know, they're continuing as they would have otherwise, obviously, though, at a, at a much, much lower occupancy. One of the challenges, and I know we're not alone in this because I've talked to many colleagues about this, is getting a handle on who's staying in residence, uh-huh. where there's people, where there's property. And so with that, we still have literally every residence hall open, even though, like I said, some you know our occupancy is extremely low. We did have a number of paraprofessional staff who decided not to return, and they were given that option. Everyone who chose to return was put back into their position, and we you know move forward. Now, that's not to say that um, we haven't seen other student employees, you know, lose the opportunity to work. But as far as our live-in staff, those who wanted to were able to come back and do that. Looking at kind of the broader national landscape with your Akuhoai hat on for a moment, some of our schools we've seen close and vacate the residence halls completely. Some schools like yours have chosen to remain open because property is in them or because, at least I know in our case, we are home for our students. We are a permanent home for many folks that live in residence and to ask them to leave would result potentially in home insecurity for some of our folks. And so we wanted to make sure that we were striking a balance between social distancing and making sure that we could meet the needs of the students that were here and not here. So what are you seeing nationally in terms of the trends of of which direction institutions are going and also kind of the, I guess, best practice is the wrong word right now, but consistent practice in the nation? That's just such a great topic to talk about. And I think that in this instance, the best practice is what is best for the institution. You know, we're in a similar situation as you described. Our residence halls are home for a number of students, and there is not another option for them. And so in in our case, and I completely support this and agree with it, and I'm grateful for it, but our president came out quite early and said, we will remain open. So I think that there is variation across the country as to what institutions felt was the best strategy. And there's hindsight 2020, and, you know, looking back, perhaps some of those institutions may have changed what they decided. We may feel that way. I don't know. But I think that people jumped into action and we just have to give credit to folks for making the best decision with the information they had at the time they had it. I have seen a wide variety of circumstances. As you said, there's institutions like ours that are open. There's others where students were um, asked to leave and in some cases students have been consolidated for safety reasons or service reasons. Um, And in some cases there's hall staff going in and packing up personal belongings, which we have not decided to do that up to this point, but I can imagine that's pretty challenging in many, many ways as well. So again, I I think there's every possible action was likely taken, and and I'm not sure at this point we can say which was the right or, or wrong answer. I know in your portfolio, you also have dining, and dining is very tied to residence life functions and community building. We often talk about breaking bread together as a way to build community or even informally gather. And with at least the rules in Washington state, We can't do that right now. Our dining has all been limited to grab and go, uh, at least on the Washington state side. So for our partners over at UW, how have you adapted your practices to meet the needs of your students that are still needing to eat with you? 
Yeah, you know, very similarly. And what's interesting is I think this serves as evidence as to the powerful role that dining really does and can play on a campus. You know, it is the community kitchen and it is the opportunity for students to come together for a very common activity, right? So we too have transitioned to a grab and go only. We're still preparing food at request for students. And then they, of course, it's packaged up and they can take it and go. We've designed our dining halls to be community gathering spaces. And so it's just painful to see them you know, absolutely empty and to not have that activity and that energy that's normally there. So I I think if there's a silver lining to any of this, it's just that it reminds us how important that program is and how important those spaces are to our students' uh, experience. You know, as much as they may, I don't know, complain about the food at this point or that point, I, I think at the end of the day, it's really a big part of their experience on campus. So we're certainly seeing that and we miss it. We miss our students terribly too. I'm sure our colleagues around the nation are feeling similarly. Pam, if you could say one thing to current housing and residence life professionals, what message do you want them to hear? I think I'll I'll answer that by saying, what would I want to hear? What would I find helpful? And I think it's that, you know, this is a time where where the best is being asked of us. And we have the ability and capability um, to, to do our best work. We have to make difficult decisions. But I think having a lens that focuses on the student and the student experience puts us in a position to, in the end, make the really good decisions. And so I would encourage everyone to keep looking at all of the work they're doing with that lens in place. You know, think about the student as much as possible. And and we're all experiencing impacts from this, but if we just keep our students front and center, I think we'll we'll end up making the best decisions that that are possible. And everybody just hang in there. (laughs) You know, this is probably a once in a career experience. I hope it's a once in a career experience. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) me too. If you could tell one thing to student affairs professionals who don't have a residence life and housing function, what would you want them to know about what we're seeing come out from your your areas right now? I think what we're seeing out of my program is I'm also seeing evidence of this, you know, out of the other student life programs on our campus, and that is creativity, innovation, really trying to break down those assumptions about how we do business (laughs) and how we interact with students. And I think it's really pressing everybody to think about doing things differently. We certainly are in terms of how we're delivering our support services to students and residents, how we're we're still trying to create a sense of community. Also, in terms of thinking forward and how we're planning for the future, Um, you know, we're trying to think about how can we do this to somewhat insulate it from other impacts or ensure that it can it can go forward despite all these unknowns that are in our future. So I think that's what's happening in housing programs. I I don't think that's unique. I think anyone who's working in student affairs is thinking in that way. So it's a common thing that we share for sure. Absolutely. I think one of the cores for us has just been remembering to lead with humanity first. If we can lead with humanity first, it's going to take us much farther than if we led with other elements of our programs first. Well said. Yes, (laughs) certainly. We're all trying. I know that. The profession has certainly risen to the occasion And I love seeing us excel. And for a lot of our partners on campus, we're really seen right now. And that's a really exciting opportunity for student affairs in general to capitalize on that good social capital that's happening right now. I agree. I think this experience will bring us together, you know, in a a sort of as a tighter group. And I also think that as we move forward, there's no doubt that 
programs, and I, I guess I would just say particularly housing operations that are self-sustaining, you know, are just going to be in a different place when this is over. And that's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. I do hope, though, that while we spend time acknowledging and focusing on the setbacks, that we also, though, tout all the things that we were able to do. Because I think that demonstrates our resilience and that we're not just focused on what went wrong, but we can focus on what went right. There's some really great stuff happening right now that I hope we can carry forward into when we're able to return to an in-person modality, what are those things that we should keep with us? And I know that there's many that are coming out. I think the big thing really is that higher ed is way more nimble than I think we thought we were. And so that's been really great to see. I agree. Totally. I agree. All right, Pam. Well, as we come to the end of our time, it is time for our lightning round. You get seven questions in 90 seconds. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Here we go. Number one, your most influential professional mentor. Oh, just one. (laughs) I would have to say Jim Grimm from the University of Florida. Your favorite author, personal or professional? I just read such a diversity of authors and I'm horrible at remembering names still. uh, (laughs) I I can't even call one up. I just read a great book called The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek and it's excellent, but I can't recall the author's name. What about your essential student affairs read? Gosh, again, there's so many. I would say, I mean, I read the Chronicle of Higher Ed front to back every week. Got it. Number four, if you were a keynote speaker at a conference, what would be your walk-up music? Wow, what a great question. Um, It would either be Bruce Springsteen or Jimmy Buffett. (laughs) (laughs) Different vibes. I like it. That's right. What did you want to be when you grew up when you were five years old? I wanted to be a veterinarian. That's the second time I've gotten that answer. All right. (laughs) All right. Number six, what's the podcast you spent the most hours listening to in the last year? Oh, goodness. You know, I listened to a a, a widest variety I could because we identified um, six podcast sessions for our department common read last summer. So instead of reading a book, we selected six different episodes from different podcasts. So um, I was listening to all kinds of podcasts. And the last one is any shout outs that you'd like to give personal or professional? I'd like to give a shout out to my team here at the University of Washington. I'd like to get uh, give a shout out to the crew at the Akuhawai office, great staff there, and my uh, colleagues that I serve on the board with. Uh, we're we're uh, we're in the midst of some difficult work as it as it relates to the association, but there's a tremendous group group of leaders there. So thank you for that opportunity. And Pamela, if anyone wants to get a hold of you after the show today, how can they do that? My Twitter handle is pshrive, and I can be reached at pshrive at uw.edu. So it's p-s-c-h-r-e-i-b. Thanks so much, Pam. So great to talk to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's time to take a quick break and toss it over to producer Chris to learn what's going on in the NASPA world. Thanks so much, Joe. I always appreciate coming back and being able to let people know what's going on in NASPA. And we've got some things that are happening right now. The gender and sexuality knowledge community is going to be having a community conversation with Dr. Katie Prieto on the current state of research in bisexuality, pansexual, queer identities among today's college students. And this presentation is going to include empirical and qualitative research and the implications for current practice and policies for the field. This is particularly post-COVID-19. Now, this is happening on June 5th. 
this is something that is is really timely and is something that you can take advantage of right away. Uh, Dr. Prieto is uh, the University Innovation Alliance Fellow for the Ohio State University. She conducts interdisciplinary qualitative student success research, has written and presented on the experience of LGBTQ plus students with a focus on bisexual, pansexual, and fluid student communities. Her dissertation research explored bisexual college student identity negotiation. So I hope all of you have an opportunity to be able to take advantage of this and check this out. And also check out the knowledge community itself, the gender and sexuality knowledge community for more information. You can find out more at bit.ly forward slash G-S-K-C-J-U-N-5. So take advantage of it. It is at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on June 5th. Also, the Women in Student Affairs Knowledge Community is having a number of community gatherings to talk about centering black lives for black women of color. And there's a number of different ones. Some have already occurred. There are a couple others that are also happening on June 5th that you should be aware of. These conversations are uh, really coming from the the morning of the loss of Ahmaud Aberry, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and Tony McDade. The knowledge community is working to be able to do what they can to be able to have these conversations, to be able to allow for individuals to be able to give voice to the needs of women in student affairs with distinct consideration of the intersectionality of identities. This all will be rooted in the question for gender equity across gender identity and expression, and they're deeply committed to promoting equality and inclusion across all forms of marginalized identities. We highly encourage you to check out the conversations that are happening on June 5th as well to be able to allow for you to be able to engage even further on these conversations with some amazing facilitators that will allow you to delve even deeper into the conversations that will help you professionally uh, in your work. Every week we're going to be sharing some amazing things that are happening within the association. So we are going to be able to try and keep you up to date on everything that's happening and allow for you to be able to get involved in different ways. Because the association is as strong as its members. And for all of us, we have to find our place within the association, whether it be getting involved with the knowledge community, giving back within one of the the centers or the divisions of the association. And as you're doing that, it's important to be able to identify for yourself, where do you fit? Where do you want to give back? Each week, we're hoping that we will share some things that might encourage you, might allow for you to be able to get some ideas that will provide you with an opportunity to be able to say, hey, I see myself in that knowledge community. I see myself doing something like that. Or encourage you in other ways that allow for you to be able to think beyond what's available right now to offer other things to the association to bring your gifts, your talents, 
to the association and to all of the members within the association because through doing that, all of us are stronger and the association is better. Tune in again next week as we find out more about what is happening in NASPA. For all of you, coming up next week. Our next guest is Kawana Leggett. Kawana currently serves as the Executive Director of Residential Life at Washington University in St. Louis. Prior to her tenure at WashU, Leggett served as the Director of Residential Education at the University of California, Berkeley. She has worked in university housing at several institutions, including New York University, the College of New Jersey, Clemson University, and the University of Arkansas. In a volunteer capacity, Kawana has a wide range of association work. In 2019, Kawana began a three-year term to the executive board of the Association of College and University Housing Officers International, AKUHOI. As the association's workforce development director, her focus is on the development of opportunities for housing professionals to gain necessary skills and programs that support and retain staff. Kawana has presented on a variety of topics, including the first-year experience, crisis management, supervision, professional development, performance appraisals, and the new professional experience. She is passionate about mentorship, social justice issues, and fostering safe and inclusive living and learning environments. Kawana earned her undergraduate degree in political science from Clemson University and graduate degree in higher education from the University of Arkansas, Fayetteville. Welcome, Kawana. Hi, Jill. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to talk to you. This is a wonderful opportunity to connect with you and connect with student affairs professionals. Thank you for the chance. For our listeners, uh, Kawana and I both used to be at a different institution together, and we had the incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to spend a month working at uh, our Shanghai campus. And so Kawana and I had uh, tremendous adventures from climbing the Great Wall of China, kind of learning how to navigate taxi systems when neither of us spoke the language. Language. So adventure for sure. Amazing experience. Indeed. And once in a lifetime, totally a highlight of career. Juana is currently an expert on housing and residence life. And at her institution, she serves as the executive director. And you've had to make a ton of decisions related to not only supporting students, but also supporting staff through COVID. Why don't you walk us through what your institution has done? Well, it's been a, a whirlwind of a couple of weeks. Our journey with COVID began on March Fourth, when we had our first emergency operation command center meeting to brief us and hear from our doctors on what we were about to face. On March 11th, we actually made the decision while students were on spring break that they could no longer come back to campus. And what that left us with was rooms filled with student items. And so we began processes that probably should have taken months to complete. Uh, we had to create processes in less than 24 hours. And so we created a late stay process for students that needed to remain in the halls for many reasons, students that who could not travel internationally to go home or students with financial uh, um, implications that they didn't have a home to go to. And so we created that process. Uh, we also had a mini move out for our students who were in the St. Louis area. And for everyone that could not come back to St. Louis, we actually began a process where we knew that they were going to start classes on March 23rd. And so 
although they could not come back, we created a process where they could sign up to tell us what their essential items were. And so we had 200 volunteers from student affairs and other units on our campus begin to start our shipping process and go into students' rooms and get essential items like books, laptops, passports, and other things. Uh, and during that week, we shipped over 2,000 items to students. Uh, again, only essential items, but that of set the ease of some of our students who knew they could not get all of their stuff, but they initially got their essential items. And our staff have been amazing. You know, I think they have been what has helped me get through all of this, seeing their resilience, seeing their per- uh, perseverance through all the challenges. You know, when you come to work, you want definitive direction and answers. And this is a situation where we didn't always have the answers I and mean, working in a lot of gray areas. And our professional staff have certainly stepped up in many ways to help us help our students through this very difficult time. But I know that, you know, one of the things that we are reiterating for our staff is the importance of utilizing some of our wellness resources. So all that to say, it's been a whirlwind since uh, the beginning beginning of uh, March, and we've had to make a lot of important decisions around students' items, uh, the student experience, and also how we best support our staff. So we are recording this on May 6th today. Listeners, you might be listening well into the future of this recording. But Kwan, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you all balanced the need for students to get their essential items with some of the liability challenges that come along with sending a passport in the mail or sending technology like a laptop in a shipping process? So uh, we're very fortunate that our university supported this packing and shipping process. Uh, We were able to fund this process and partner with reliable moving companies, local moving companies, but also utilize FedEx. Uh, We've also created assurance process with our, we also created an assurance process with our university insurance and FedEx. And so we've been very fortunate that we've put in all the right things to make this a process that certainly is not perfect, but uh, utilizes great vending services. Again, this was a campus effort and we work with our resource management team to find the right vendors to support this endeavor. I think it's amazing what you were able to stand up in 24 hours. A lot of us have been marveling at how agile higher education has become amidst this emergency. And so I'm wondering what advice you would give to other folks who are leading people through these types of major overhauls. You know, I absolutely think it's about giving yourself grace. Um, There's days where I come to work and I I don't have the answer and I have to ask the questions and, uh, you know, challenge what I think I know. This is something that we've never dealt with anyone. And so no one's going to be perfect on any given day. And so I think it's really about uh, giving yourself grace as a leader and being open to hear feedback. These are the times where you have to ask your staff, you know, what do you think about this and how will that impact students if we do X, Y, and Z? So, you know, I think like many times, communication is key and asking questions, giving yourself grace, but you also have to rely on, you know, specifically in housing. We've been through many crises. Um, And so uh, although this is unlike anything that we've seen, we've been trained in many different crisis situations. And so utilizing those same skills and talents that have helped us navigate crisis in the past, um, but just on a much more broader level. The one thing I will say is just 
checking in on people. You know, even your strongest team members, they may show up uh, and be great at work, but they may go home and just feel depleted. And so always checking in on folks to see how they're doing, um, because this is a lot of emotional labor uh, to be able to create processes quickly, be able to listen to all concerns that are coming through uh, and being able to support your, yourself, but also your team. So definitely checking in on others is important right now. For our residential-based institutions, I know that our staff that live in have probably felt a disproportionate impact of that labor, living with our students, responding to students at all hours, which is something they've already done and have done for years. Uh, But what are you seeing and kind of what's the pulse of your live-in team members right now? I think for our staff, because we had our students move out March 11th, right now we have about 225 students remaining. And we have a population of housing of about 5,400 students. So our on-campus population has significantly reduced. I think the first few weeks was, was this, I don't want to say guilt, but this just like overwhelming feeling that you didn't get to end the semester like you would have wanted to. And so you didn't get to have the traditional goodbyes. You didn't get to send your RAs off in the way that would have supported what they've accomplished over the last year. And so it, it's the sadness mixed with some guilt in terms of this year has come to a close and what's my role now? And so I think that's what the first couple of weeks were. And then, you know, you shift into just being emotionally exhausted. I think a lot of folks are holding a lot, especially as we think about budget implications this has on higher education, particularly housing and student affairs. And so really just this uneasiness about what the future looks like, what the fall will look like, and knowing that housing and residential life will never look like it has for most years. Uh, So I think it's just a lot of uncertainty right now. Uh, And, you know, what we've done is just try to create as much space for people to be open and honest about how they're feeling um, and with no judgment on that. And sometimes we have an answer for it and sometimes we don't. Um, But I think allowing space and good supervision, supervisors to be able to check in with folks. My associate director has had a meeting with every one of our live-in staff and she doesn't directly supervise those folks. I hold a weekly Res Life briefing for all of our team. I've popped into their meetings. So I think it's even when you're busy showing up for people and knowing that it's okay to be open and honest if you're frustrated today. Tell me what that frustration is about and how can we support you through it? And so I think that's that's where we are at right now is just trying to check in on people and just make sure that we provide space for them to share their experiences. I really hear you leading with humanity. And I think that's one of the most important core things that we've always done in student affairs And it's more important now than it ever has been in the profession. So as we transition into summer, uh, I also think that this is an interesting time that we're navigating many potential pathways forward. So how are you and your team preparing for the various scenarios that we might be facing come fall? Well, our university, our, our chancellor has been amazing in being at the forefront of making some really incredible decisions in a very good, thorough way and communicating uh, very transparently. We have a fall contingency planning group uh, that is meeting at the university level, and we are awaiting what their decisions will be around what our fall opening will look like. Part of a subgroup is looking at what that um, will look like for 
residential students. And so from room configuration to dining services, to cleaning, to housing assignments, a lot is up in the air right now. And so I don't have a definitive answer uh, for what it's going to look like in the fall. Um, But I know that we are working very closely with our public health department, our medical school uh, uh, partners and doctors who um, have helped us throughout this process to make the right decisions. Because ultimately, yes, we would love our students to come back and start our fall semester as we have in many, many of our years. Uh, But we want to make sure that we're using the right guidance to move us forward. I think that one of the things top of mind for folks right now is how we might need to shift paraprofessional training for the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that means in our, so much of our modeling has been based on in-person dialogue, instruction, real life scenarios. I know that at my institution, we have done an RA camp quite a bit. So how are you thinking about transitioning those to meaningful experiences while still keeping everyone either physically distanced or potentially all online? Well, I, you know, I feel very blessed. I have an amazing team who was pretty much ahead of the curve. We moved to a nine-day orientation model last August. And one of the biggest takeaways that we had was by the end of RA training and then the nine days of orientation, our staff were spent. And so we challenge ourselves to say, okay, we've always done training the same way. How can we think more creatively and also balance the needs of our staff who have to go through a nine-day orientation with RA training. And so we actually, before COVID even was a thought, we actually moved to creating more online modules that staff uh, could complete over the summer, but also we built in a couple of training days where they could do online training. And so what we're going to end up doing is probably expanding that a bit more to include a few more sessions. But, you know, I, I definitely feel my team was on ahead of the curve with creating more online experiences. Uh, we actually had an RA camp um, that we've always done. And this year we made the decision before COVID hit that let's not do RA camp. Let's find other mechanisms to build team, but also build time for staff to do the important things like go get books and just get prepared for the semester for themselves. So I feel like we that's one piece that I feel like we're definitely in a good place with because we've already started this online system of training and looking and just recreating what we've always thought was training. I love that. It sounds like you've already been on the path and then there's an opportunity to continue. Kuana, what advice or messaging would you like to give to all of the specifically housing and residence life professionals that are listening? I will say that every day it looks different. I've been working in housing since 1998 when I was a work-study student at the front desk and never would I have imagined that housing would look like this. One of the things that we have always prided ourselves on are creating community. And so what does that mean when the community is now a virtual community? What does it mean that if I want to do a check-in with a student, I may need to be six feet apart from that student? And so I think my advice is, yes, we have lots of experience in history, but this is a time that we have an opportunity to be innovative and partners around what are some best practices to really meet the needs of our students and build that community, even if it may be online, virtually connecting. I think things like you're doing podcasts and other creative mechanisms to meet students where they are, and they may not be in our residence halls right now. And So how do we find those connections? So, you know, I think my biggest takeaway and just words of advice is just be innovative and really think about how we're using technology and how we're 
we're, you know, I think what I'm finding is all my staff is working from home right now. We have stay at home orders in place that start at March 23rd and we don't know indefinitely. And so I'm thinking that we're going to look at what meetings look like a bit different and it's not always going to be in person. So I think I would just say be innovative and rethink everything we thought that was. All right, Kawana, we've gotten to the lightning round portion of our show. You get seven questions in 90 seconds. Are you ready? Let's go. All right. Number one, if you were a conference keynote speaker, what would be your walk-up song? Nas, if I ruled the world. What did you want to be when you were five years old? A lawyer. What is the podcast you've spent the most hours listening to in the last year? That's embarrassing. The Joe Budden (laughs) podcast. What is your favorite author, personal or professional? Now I got to look at my books. Oh my goodness. I will say, and I will always say say his name incorrectly, Peter Lashoni. And what is your essential student affairs read? Critical race theory, probably. Your most influential professional mentor? Leon McClinton. And finally, any shout outs that you'd like to make personal or professional? I want to give a shout out to all the residential life staff and team at Washington University in St. Louis. Thank you for being amazing thought partners and colleagues. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Kawana. If folks want to reach you after they've listened, how can they do so? K underscore leg L-E-G 80 at Twitter. All right. Thanks again for being here, Kawana. Really appreciate your insights today. Thank you. This has been an episode of SA Voices from the Field, a podcast brought to you by NASPA. This show is made possible because of you, our listeners. You mean so much to us. If you'd like to reach the show, you can email us at savoices at naspa.org or find me on Twitter at Jill Creighton. We welcome your feedback and your topic and guest suggestions. We'd love it if you'd take a moment to tell a colleague about the show and like, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. This episode was produced and hosted by Dr. Jill Creighton. That's me. Produced, edited, and mixed by Dr. Chris Lewis. Guest coordination by Anna Schilter. Special thanks to Washington State University's Division of Student Affairs for your support as we create this project. Catch you next time.